the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Alright, so this is uh, number three. In number one, we spoke about what the liturgy is, and we looked at the praise of preparation of the priest. Last week was a heavy session where we looked at just the prayer of the offertory. We got up to the part where the priest holds the oblation bread that he's chosen, the lamb um, wrapped in a veil over his head and says, Glory and honor, honor and glory to the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Before that, he had just put water on the oblation bread, which we said some people like to remind them of baptism. He wraps it in the veil, which some people... Um, it reminds me of, of the swaddling clothes. And then the priest in a procession with the deacons following him with the uh, wine and the water goes around the altar. That's what we got up to. Okay? Everyone remember that from last week? So if we look at our handout, the first three quotes are just a bit different to what we're about to do, but I, I wanted to share them with you. So the first one um, just speaks about the importance of the liturgy to the church. It's by a person called Ioannis Malek. I'm not sure if he's Coptic, but it's in a book called The Eucharistic Liturgy in the Christian East. He says, We rightly may conclude that if the Church of Egypt could survive during all the centuries and amidst all kinds of difficulties which menaced her existence, she could do so at least to a large part thanks to her liturgical life around the altar, thanks to her living faith in Christ, who is perpetuating his sacrifice and his presence among his faithful. In the assemblies, the Eucharistic synaxis, synaxis just means assembly, or when the people of the church gather together to pray, they found support and courage, light and instruction. Nobody should be astonished if the present-day Copts strongly insist on preserving their liturgical texts. They will not tolerate that they be touched. This is the expression of their faith. We must remember that. So I don't know what happened to the rest of the quote, but it just got cut off there. That's okay. So we spoke about how our faith is showed in the Eucharist. We spoke about if you didn't attend Sunday school and you attended the Divine Liturgy and Tisbeha, um, Midnight Praises, Vespers, Matins, and you paid attention to the text, you probably know most of what you need to know as an Orthodox Christian. But I really like the sentence here, thanks to her liturgical life around the altar, thanks to her living faith in Christ who is perpetuating his sacrifice, and his presence amongst the faithful. And I guess for us as youth, the question is, is, do we have the same approach for the liturgy? Or is the liturgy just one of those add-ons that we do? Well, even in service, for example, whenever there's a youth group and there's not many people attending the youth group, they go, okay, we've got to revitalize the youth meeting. Well, that's all great. But could we possibly consider, obviously not revitalizing the liturgy, it doesn't need to be revitalized, but maybe making sure that we're praying it the way it's supposed to be prayed, in fellowship, it's accessible with the text, it's um, in English like most churches have, etc. And maybe that will have a different um, result. Maybe have a better result. Maybe it will deepen the fellowship that we have as youth. Maybe it will, well, maybe, I guarantee, it will make our lives as Christians a lot deeper. There was a monk who died in early 1990s. He had lived part of his life as an anchorite in the wilderness. And he said to his disciples, that's gone. You can't live as an anchorite in the 21st century. Like in the olden days, there's just too much accessibility. It's not the same anymore. He goes, however, you will get the same and more grace in the divine liturgy. But if you lose the divine liturgy and you don't go 
and you don't treat it the way it's supposed to be, you've lost everything. So I just wanted to share that. The next two sections speak about coming to the liturgy on time. We're speaking about this with someone just before. I think the Coptic Orthodox Church is notorious for its parishioners coming late. Would you agree? Would we agree there's no, there is no valid excuse apart from grievous illness or car troubles or any significant... There's no, can we agree that there's no significant... There's no reasonable reason for a general person to be late to the liturgy all the time. Can we agree to that? Yeah. Is there any excuse? I don't think, I don't think so. Okay. First one's from Pope Cyril III, 75th Patriarch of Alexandria, 13th century. It's a paraphrase. Whoever had not been present at the liturgy from its very beginning and had neither heard the readings nor received the absolution could not communicate. By communicate means to participate in communion. Sawirus ibn Mukaffa, two centuries earlier, outlined that the readings and the prayers purify and sanctify us in preparation for the reception of the divine mysteries. He says that the word of God is the living water which moistens the earth and the communion is the seed which gives its fruit. He also says... He who does not attend the readings and the sanctification of the oblations, which we looked at last week, shall receive the same punishment as Judas Iscariot, as they partake in Holy Communion with an impure soul. The readings and the liturgy are performed before communion to sanctify the soul and the body of he who partakes of the mysteries. Thus, one becomes worthy of Holy Communion. So we receive the Word of God through the readings and we receive the Word of God later through the Eucharist. So I think we should all agree that there is no reason, no significant reason, general reason, for us to be late to the liturgy. If anything, we should be earlier. You know when the cinemas say the movie's on at 7.30, does anyone actually go at 7.30? Go at 7.15, buy some popcorn, get the ticket, sit in the cinema, just relax, and then the ads start. Well, let's, let's try something. Let's challenge ourselves. I think once we tried to do this for a year, but it didn't work. Um, but we said our liturgy used to start at 9. We said this year will be the year of 8.55. What's 8.55? Everyone comes to the liturgy at 8.55 before Abuna opens the curtain and everyone just sits down and just spends some quiet time together, gets their mind and their heart focused. So when the liturgy starts, it's not like they're rushing in with like a thousand things in their mind. So why don't we try that? The eight, at St. Mary's, I think it's the 9.10, but you start at 9.15. At St. George's, it's the 9 It's 8.55, because we, they start at 9 o'clock. So give that a shot. Okay? So there's just three quotes that I thought we'd start off with. All right. So in the liturgy book, we are up to page... ...112. Page 112. Okay, if you just look at the, um, the footnote of page 111, there's something in red that we'll just look at. So right now what we're up to is the priest has come around, as the deacons are saying, pray for these holy and precious gifts, our sacrifices and those who brought them. He's come to the front of the sanctuary, he's crossed the people with the oblation, he turns around, 
And then the people sing, Alleluia, Fai Alleluia, this is the day which the Lord has made. They sing that hymn according to the footnote on Saturdays and Sundays, except in Great Lent, on the Feast of the Lord, during the Holy 50 days, and any day that's not a fasting day, we sing, Alleluia, this is the, door, the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, straighten our ways. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Alleluia. That's from Psalm 117. If it's a fasting day, except the weekdays of the Great Lent and Jonas Fast, as said in red, and on Saturdays and Sundays during the Great Fast, to say a different response. Alleluia, the thought of man shall confess to you, O Lord, and the remainder of thought shall keep a feast to you. The sacrifices and the offerings, receive them to yourself. So it's said during a time of fasting, and we could see the connection there with sacrifice and offering. On the days of Jonah's fast, and in the days of the great fast, great Lent, except Saturdays and Sunday, we say this response from Psalm 42 and 131. Alleluia, I will go into the altar of God. To God who gladdens my youth, I will confess you with my harp, O God, my God. Remember David, O Lord, and all his uh, meekness. So if you see, to God who gladdens my youth during a time of fasting. Saying, yes, we're fasting, but we're still glad. Now, I'm not sure if they're the reasons why those hymns are there, but some meaning that we could draw from them. So these are the three different responses. The, the congregation is praying this. Um, I haven't brought an Urbana with us. We don't need it today. But at this point... If we could just re- reverse what the sanctuary looks like for a second, actually, the altar. Let's imagine that this is the east and everyone's this way. Okay? So the, the incense is usually on Abuna's right hand and he's on the left. He then stands with the Urbana in his hand, the oblation in his hand, and the two deacons holding the water and the wine. Okay? And then he has the cross... And we are on page 113. 113, okay? So he's holding the the oblation in his hand, the bread, the wine and the water are next to him. He goes in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Blessed be God, the Father, the Pantocrator. The deacon responds, amen. Blessed be his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The deacon responds again, amen. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete. The deacon responds again, Amen. What did he just do? Holy Trinity, glorification of the Holy Trinity, blessed the gifts that will now be used on the altar in the name of the Holy Trinity. So everything that we use is blessed in the name of the Holy Trinity. When he opens the, the parcel that has the vessels in it, if you remember from the week one, he does the same three signings. When a deacon comes... With his Tonya to be blessed, he does the same three signings. When Abuna goes to your house to pray in water, he does the same three signings all the time. And then the deacon responds something. During this response, the priest gets the oblation bread and he puts it in the pattern while saying, Glory and honor, honor and glory to the All Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So whenever Abuna does the three signings on anything, he always concludes with glory and honor, honor and glory to the All-Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then the deacon says, one is the Holy Father, one is the Holy Son, one is the Holy Spirit, amen. So he responds to Abuna's glorification of the Holy Trinity with the glorification of the Holy Trinity. Blessed be the Lord God forever. Then he says the psalm, the first psalm of the 11th hour. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. For his mercy has been strengthened towards us, 
and the truth of the Lord abides forever. Amen. Alleluia. Then the people, so in your book, you have another response that he could say if the bishop or the pope is there. We won't go through that now. We might go through those hymns in a special session, but we'll just turn the page. And we could see after the response, what do the people do? So the priest glorified the Holy Trinity. The deacon replied to that glorification with a glorification of the Holy Trinity. And what did the people do? They also replied with the glorification of the Holy Trinity. Glory, this is called the doxa. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. So like we said last week, the whole liturgy is a glorification of the Holy Trinity because the Holy Trinity is present. God is present everywhere, especially in His church, in the sacrament. And it's a prayer that we should do from our hearts. Okay? And then after this, the priest pours the wine into the chalice and he puts a little bit of water into the wine. A little bit of water, sorry, into the cruet and puts the water on the wine, mixing them together. Why? Because Christ on the cross, when they speared his side, water and wine came out. All churches apart from the Armenian church or apostolic churches apart from the Armenian church use water and wine. A quote from St. Cyprian, 258, he passed away 258 AD is an early witness to this practice. Thus, in sanctifying the cup of the Lord, water cannot be offered alone, as neither can wine be offered alone. For if the wine be offered by itself, the blood of Christ... Sorry, I didn't... It's a typo. Being to... Is without us. And if the water be alone, the people... Ah, sorry. If the wine be offered by itself, the blood of Christ begins to be without us. Sorry, typo. And if the water be alone, the people begins to be without Christ. So early witness from the early church who would use water and wine. So this is the beginning of the liturgy. It's a glorification of the Holy Trinity like everything is in the liturgy. The bread is now put into the pattern. The wine and the water are in the, in the chalice. We spoke about what it means to offer and sacrifices and why we use bread and wine. Last week, if you missed it, it's recorded. And there's a handout, and we have a spare handout, a few spare handouts. Following that, we move to the um, Thanksgiving prayer. In the Coptic Church, everything starts with the Thanksgiving prayer. The priest begins, let us pray, Ishlil. That's the call to prayer. Let us pray. So he goes to people, let us pray. Now, if there's another priest in Coptic, you go, or Coptic and Greek, he goes, Ishlil iflogite. That means... Let us pray. If Logite means bless. So he so if Abuna is standing here, remember this this is the East. To a priest. And the, it's like saying, Let us pray, but he's going to the priest, please bless. The other priest would reply, no, you bless. And he will. <laughs> and he'll go, Peace be with you all. If there is more than one priest, he'll say the plural of Evlogison, which is Evlogite. Um let us pray, please bless, as in plural. And they'll go, all of them will go to him, which is, no, you bless, and he'll go ahead and bless. The bishop, will not, um, the bishop doesn't do that, or the pope doesn't do that if there's a priest there. The, it has to be of the same rank. But if a bishop's there, he has to officiate the liturgy. Okay? If there are two bishops, then the bishop will turn to the other bishop and go, uh, for example. Okay. The deacon replies, stand up for prayer. So if you realize, the deacon always gives you an instruction. 
On page uh, 111, a few pages back, the first instruction the deacon gives you is to pray for these holy and precious gifts, our sacrifices, and those who bring them. On page 114, he told you, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, Lord him, all your peoples. Now he's telling you to stand up for prayer. So the pray- what does the deacon do? All the time he gives you instructions. So if you're a deacon, deacon at the front needs to be standing like a soldier as everyone's looking like they're, they're orienting themselves towards the east. You should be the example of prayer. This is a holy place, so I have to remember how holy this altar is. should be standing properly. And when I say a response, it shouldn't be, it should be properly. Because I'm instructing the people. I'm actually telling them what to do. Okay? The priest will then turn around and say, peace be with you all. And everyone will reply, and with your spirit. Um, and that's the general call to prayer at the beginning of any section of the liturgy or any prayer. Let us pray. They can go, okay, stand up for prayer. Peace be with you all and with your spirit, and he'll start the prayer. Now, this call, stand up for prayer, warns us to be reverent, focused, to be attentive. Let us attend. When we stand to pray um, to God and to assist in the service, as a, as a congregation, as the lay people, your job is to pray, as with everyone else, not just to watch. I think the call stand up to prayer, like I'll use this opportunity to talk about what we do with our bodies in church. So stand up for prayer, why, why don't we pray sitting down, for example? Because what we do with our bodies impacts what happens inside. So if I'm just like standing like this, if I'm a deacon, I'm just standing like this at the altar, it shows that like, I'm just telling myself it's not really that important. If I'm attentive, it makes a difference. If I'm standing like in the liturgy and there's a pew in front of me and I'm just like this during the service, for example, is it different as to standing properly, closing my eyes, raising my hands, etc. So how, what, the posture that my body is in is, is pretty important. And in Orthodox worship and in Catholic worship as well, we use our bodies a lot. We do the sign of the cross. We prostrate on the ground. We kiss icons. We light candles. We greet one another with a holy kiss. We involve our body and our senses in prayer. So it's important, I think, that when we approach the liturgy, the church, should, we should treat it differently to how we treat everything outside. So, for example, we should really avoid talking in church. Even after a meeting like this, we should probably like go straight out and talk outside because we're privileged to have uh, some space um, outside. So we should treat it differently. So, especially for people in the sanctuary, when we're walking around, we shouldn't be walking around like I'm at home. I should be walking properly. And we spoke about this before, my tonia should be top-notch, ironed to shape, you know, perfect length. Shouldn't have a hoodie sticking out, okay? And when I walk around the sanctuary to, like, for example, if a boy needs an incense box, there's a difference in terms of... Okay, and properly. If, I don't know, yesterday, at the, who was at the ecumenical service yesterday? Did you see the person who read the gospel? The head of the um, Victorian Council of Churches. When he came to read the gospel, he, usually, like, a lot of us, we, like, we're sitting down, it's our turn to read. It's like... He got up. I, w- I was watching him. I'm like, wow. Sorry, make a sound. He got up. And he's like, walk slowly and respectfully, but he's in the temple. So I think that we should keep mind of that. Our posture, how we carry ourselves in, in the liturgy, should be different to how it is outside. Now, someone will say, but isn't this my father's house? 
Isn't it about the heart? Of course it is my father's house and it is about the heart. But just because that's how God looks at us, in response, is our response to be like, all right, anything goes? It's like the whole shorts argument. I'm not going to go into shorts is right or wrong, but let's go to this. The church has agreed, don't wear shorts in church. That's a good enough reason. The church said there's a dress code in, this, in the temple, don't wear shorts, okay? Just because the church agreed to that, that's a good enough reason. That's a fair point, I think. Happy to have the shorts debate later on. <laughs> if anyone is really like, if it's really troubling someone. Then we have the thanks... Uh, oh, sorry, forgot a couple of things. And our handout. Peace be with you all is a very common response. Father Alexander Schmemann says a few words on that. All that we receive in the church has been made possible by the peace between God and man. Peace that Christ has established and fulfilled... In him we are at peace with God. Therefore, this proclamation and granting of peace constitute an essential part of Christian liturgy. Now, everyone knows the Thanksgiving prayer. Thanksgiving is a very important theme of the liturgy. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. We're not going to speak about Eucharist as Thanksgiving today. We'll do a whole separate one on it when we get to the anaphora. So I'm not going to talk about Thanksgiving I just want to talk about the Lord have mercy response, because this is the first time we start saying Lord have, well, actually we say it at the offering, but in, from now on we re- reply Lord have mercy to many prayers. Beautiful quote that I found in this book called Orthodox Worship, talks about um, what we mean by Lord of mercy. We'll read it. The word mercy in English is translation of the Greek word eleos. That's why kyrie eleison, eleison means have mercy. This word has the same ultimate root as the old Greek word for oil, or more precisely, olive oil, a substance which was used extensively as a soothing agent for bruises and minor wounds. The oil was poured onto the wound and gently massaged in, thus soothing, comforting, and making whole the injured part. The Hebrew word, which is also translated as eleos and mercy, is hesed, and means steadfast love. The Greek words for Lord have mercy are kirialeison, That is to say, Lord, soothe me, comfort me, take away my pain, show me your steadfast love. Thus, mercy does not only refer so much to justice or acquittal, a very Western interpretation, but to the infinite loving kindness of God and his compassion for his suffering children. It is in this sense that we pray, Lord, have mercy with great frequency throughout the divine liturgy. I thought that was a beautiful uh, paragraph on how we could look at Lord of Mercy. Of course, when we say Lord of Mercy, we could also be saying it in extreme repentance. Lord have mercy. But I think this is also another way to look at it. All good? Okay? So, we'll skip the Thanksgiving prayer for now. We'll go to page 122. Okay? So the priest says, but those things which are good and profitable do provide for us, for it is you who have given us the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. Now the deacons say one of two hymns. If a bishop is not present, they say the hymn Saved Amin or Sotis Amin, and it's a long so, oh, everyone knows that hymn. They say it until the priest finishes what I'm going to show you he's about to do. If a bishop is there, they sing another hymn, which is on page 122. O all you wise men of Israel, the makers of golden threads, make a robe for Aaron, befitting the honor of the priesthood of our honored father, the high priest, Pope Ava Tuadus II, and our father, the bishop Ava Suriel, the beloved of Christ. If it's great Lent, we say another hymn, but we might look at those hymns later on.
Okay? During this time, what's the priest doing? He says a prayer called the prayer of the offertory. So if I'm standing here, I just want you sort of to visualize what's in front of me. I've got the pattern in front of me, the throne and the chalice here. So this is the pattern, throne and the chalice. That's the east. People are here, but we've just reversed it. Okay? Let's read the prayer, and I'll do the hand movements that the priest does during that time. O Lord, O Master Lord Jesus Christ, the co-eternal Logos of the unblemished Father, who is of one essence with him and the Holy Spirit, for you are the living bread which came down from heaven and formerly made yourself a lamb without spot for the life of the world. We ask and entreat your goodness, a lover of mankind. Show your face upon this bread and upon this cup, which we have set upon this your priestly table. Bless them, sanctify them, purify them and change them in order that on one hand, this bread may indeed become your holy body. And on the other hand, the mixture which is in this cup, indeed your precious blood, and may they become for all of us communion, healing, and salvation for our souls, bodies, and spirits. For you are our God, and glory is due unto you with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you, now all times and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Lot in there. Okay? The first part tells us some of our faith about Jesus Christ. He is the co-eternal Logos. He existed forever. There wasn't a time where the Son of God did not exist. Arius made that claim. He said, oh, there was a time where the Son of God did not exist. But the Nicene Creed shows that he's begotten before the ages. Okay? Who is of one essence with him and the Holy Spirit? Reference to the Nicene Creed. Of one essence with the Father. You are the living bread which came down from heaven. So in your handout, John 6.51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Okay? So reference to what Christ said in the Gospel of St. John. And formerly made yourself a lamb without spot for the life of the world. Reminds us of Exodus 12.5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Remember we said a lot of... The, um, the, sorry, the Passover in the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. And First Peter one eighteen to 20 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but, but was manifest in these last times for you. Okay? And then he continues, We ask and entreat your goodness, the lover of mankind, show your face upon this bread and upon this uh, cup, which we have set, set upon this, your priestly table. Remember last week? It is his priesthood, not mine. His priesthood. And uh, as priests, we are called to participate in his priesthood. So it's his priestly table. Bless them, sanctify them, purify them and change them. This is one of two times where the priest... In this instance, he asks Jesus Christ to change the bread and the wine. And later we'll look at how he prays for the Holy Spirit to descend upon the gifts so that they could change into the body and the blood of Christ. Okay? In order that on one hand, this bread may indeed become your holy body. And on the other hand, the mixture which is in this cup, indeed your precious blood. And then this is very nice. This is prob- I think this might be the first time where we start to find out some things about the Eucharist. 
And may they, what's they? What will become the body and the blood of Christ? Become for all of us communion, healing and salvation. So the Eucharist is communion, kanonia, with God. And since we all participate in the Eucharist and with each other, it is healing and it's salvation. For what? Our bodies, our souls and our spirits. And then a praise again, a glorification of the Holy Trinity. For you are our God and glory is unto you with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you now all times and the ages of ages. Amen. I think the word healing in Eucharist is beautiful. Okay? Let's have a look at this uh, paragraph in your handout. St. Ignatius speaks about only one doctor who is Jesus Christ. St. Cyril of Alexandria calls him the physician. Origen calls him the good physician. St. Athanasius, St. Clement and St. Epiphanius call him saviour and physician. Jesus is the physician because he heals, typo, sorry, the soul and gives it heavenly medicines as said by St. Macarius the Great. According to St. Anthony the Great, Jesus is the great physician which all the world has been waiting for. So, if Jesus is the doctor, then what's the medicine? Communion. communion. And what's the church? The hospital. Yeah. The church is the hospital. Christ is the doctor. Communion is my medicine. When I first heard that, that changed how I approached communion a lot. I started approaching communion as medicine, healing. Remembering that I am sick. We're all sick. And Christ is our healing. Healing is always linked with salvation. A lot in the liturgies you hear a lot, healing and salvation coming in the same uh, phrase. Like the litany of the gospel, through the life of us all, the salvation of us all, the healing of us all, the hope of us all, and the resurrection of us all. They link healing and salvation together. Our Lord is not only the healer, but also our healing. St. Ignatius of Antioch. So that you obey the bishop and the, pres- and the, uh, the priests with an undivided mind, breaking one and the same bread which is the medicine of immortality. One of the most beautiful titles of the Eucharist is that the Eucharist is medicine of immortality and the antidote to prevent us from dying that we should live forever in Jesus Christ. Love that quote. St. John Chrysostom, he says, but you will say, I'm a sinner, I can't come, I'm too sick, I can't have communion. He says, then if you are a sinner, come, that you may cease to be one. Tell me, who is there among men without sin? This quote, which the text that I was using attributed to this author, Simon Ebn Khalil, possibly if I was able to read the footnote properly, because it wasn't all in English. Paraphrase, whoever says, I do not want the Eucharist, with the reason that they are a sinner and unworthy, is like one who is ill, who does not want to take the medicine till they receive healing, after which they will take the medicine. This is the sin of pride, which makes the person not want the healing because they think that they can give themselves the healing. So then the question is, then when do I not approach communion? The easiest rule of thumb is just ask your confession father. Because if I leave it up to myself, I might actually like, stay away from communion unnecessarily, which is most likely the case. We all need communion for healing. This is a good chance to go to the Litany of the Sick on page 23. This is a litany that we pray in Matins, as long as, uh, along with other services like um, Unction of the Sick, uh, Washing of the Feet. It's a litany for the sick. The priest says, 
Again, let us ask God the Pantocrata, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask and entreat your goodness, a lover of mankind. Remember, O Lord, the sick among your people. Then the deacon gives you an instruction. He's asking you to pray for our fathers and brethren. So, by the way, when they say fathers and brethren, it's not like bias towards men. Just a generic way of saying those older and those who are siblings. Fathers and brethren who are sick with any sickness, whether in this place or in any place, that Christ our God may grant us with them health and healing and forgive us our sins. Okay? Lord have mercy, the response. And then the priest says, You have visited them with mercy and compassion and healed them. Take away from them and from us every sickness and every malady and the spirit of sickness chase away. Those who have long lain in maladies raise up in comfort. Those who are afflicted by unclean spirits set them all free. Those who are in prisons or dungeons, those who are in exile or captivity, or those who are held in bitter bondage, O Lord, set them all free and have mercy upon them. I always think, why have they included that paragraph? Well, when we look at healing as body, soul, and spirit, that makes sense. If you're in prisons or dungeons, exile or captivity, inside you're pretty sick. You'll be affected by what's happening. For you are he who loosens the bound and lifts up the fallen. You are the hope of those who have no hope and the help of those who have no helper. The comfort of the faint-hearted, the harbour of those in the storm. All souls that are distressed or bound, grant them mercy, O Lord. Grant them rest. Grant them refreshment. Grant them grace. Grant them help. Grant them salvation. Again, linking salvation and healing. Grant them the forgiveness of their sins and their iniquities. As for us too, O Lord... The sicknesses of our souls heal, and also those of our bodies cure. And then watch for this sentence. O you, the true physician of our souls and bodies, the bishop of all flesh, visit us with your salvation. Beautiful. Christ is the doctor. Whenever I'm sick, I go to to the church, the hospital. Christ, as the doctor, gives me the medicine and the antidote, which is his life-giving body and blood. So during this time... Just make sure that... Oh, sorry. One more quote. Monday Sali. We say, as a true physician and a healer, you have healed all our sicknesses. So if you look, the, all our liturgical quotes tell us who Christ is, what the Eucharist is. It's healing. He is the physician. He is the healer. And I've put in the, the couple of verses from um, Gospel of St. Luke 5.30-32, where Christ says... Uh, where the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Outlying, outlining that Christ is the doctor. We started a bit late, so we're sort of like nearly halfway through. All right. During this time, what's the priest doing? He's covering the oblation, and then he puts the big cloth on top, which we call the prosphorian, which means oblation. We spoke about that briefly last week. We speak about that when we speak about greet one another with a holy kiss. Why does he cover? A contemplation is, it's the, uh, um, it reminds us of the burial of Christ, and he puts a triangle to remind us of the seal that went on the tomb. So if you see this whole introductory period to the liturgy, the prothesis, as it's titled, we see the baptism of Christ, wrapping him in swaddling clothes, putting him in a manger, and the burial of Christ. So it sort of outlines the whole life of Christ. Also practically, after this point, the priest is away from the altar. What's he doing? Offering incense around the church. So he's not going to leave the gifts on their own. So he covers the altar with the prosperian. 
But remembering that we said last week that in the olden days, the offertory was in the middle of the liturgy. So what happened back then? We're not too sure, but something to keep in mind. So he puts the big cloth. But he also says another prayer. Okay? Now, it's not in order in the book because this book, once they mention a prayer, rather than reprinting it, they say, please refer to page such and such. The page that this prayer is on is on page 86. So you don't have to do this flipping back and forth because you're saying, so, whoa. But Abuna should have memorized this or he's flicking back and forth. All right. So the priest says the prayer of absolution to the sun. This prayer is said at the end of matins and vespers and when you go to Abuna for confession. So absolution is the prayer that signifies the forgiveness of sins um, when you confess. So we say this. End of Vespers and Matins, if you remember when Abuna comes out after the Gospel and everyone bows down and he says something and then they go, Amin, Kiriya, Laiso, and everyone comes and kicks the Gospel. Right before that, he's saying this prayer. When you go to Abuna for confession and he places the cross on your head, he says this prayer. He also says this prayer again as he is putting the prosperian on. So we have to be there for this prayer. Okay? But of course, we said we're going to be there from the beginning, so it's not an issue. Okay, so let's read this prayer just in case you haven't paid attention to it before. O Master Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son and Logos of God the Father, who has broken every bond of our sins through his saving, life-giving sufferings, who breathed into the face of his saintly disciples and holy apostles and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any that are forgiven, if you retain the sins of any that are retained. So the priest is recalling the, um, what Christ did and said to his um, uh, disciples and holy apostles, where he gave him the authority, authority to forgive sins. Now also, our Master, you have given grace through your holy apostles to those who for a time labor in priesthood in your holy church to forgive sin upon the earth and to bind and to loose every bond of iniquity. So through apostolic succession, the bishops and the priests have the authority and the grace to forgive sin on the earth and to bind and to loose every bond of iniquity. That's why we confess to a priest. Now also we ask and treat your goodness, a lover of mankind, for your servants, my fathers, my brethren, and my weakness. Look how he refers to himself, my weakness. Those who bow their heads before your holy glory, dispense to us your mercy and loose every bond of our sin. And if we have committed any sin against you, knowingly or unknowingly, or through anguish of heart, whether in deed or word or from faint-heartedness, like I was weak, I, I sinned. O Master who knows the weakness of men, so we're bound to sin, you know how weak we are, as the good one and lover of mankind, we call God many times the lover of mankind, O God, grant us the forgiveness of our sins, bless us, purify us, absolve us and all your people, fill us with your fear and straighten us for your holy goodwill. So after you've absolved us from our sin, fill us with your fear so that we don't go down the same path, straighten us for your holy goodwill and then a glorification of the Holy Trinity. For you are our God, glory, honor, dominion, worship, I join to you with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you now, all times, and to the ages of ages. Amen. So the priest is saying all this while you're chanting, so, woe, or Nisavev, which is the hymn for the bishop. So all this brings us back to where we were, which is page 125. So at this point, you're still chanting, so, he's covered the altar. He does a prostration. He proceeds around the altar. There's a prostration to the deacons in the sanctuary and to his fellow priests if they're with him. 
the priest says to a fellow priest, I've sinned, absolve me. And he replies, I've sinned, absolve me. To someone who's not a priest, I've sinned, forgive me. And the person replies, I've sinned, absolve me. And then he proceeds outside of the sanctuary and he says the uh, absolution of the servants. In ancient times, God asked Moses to anoint Aaron and his priests, sorry, Aaron and his sons, and pray for them before they started the service. So we pray for the servants, the servants being those who minister in the liturgy, before we start. It's called the absolution of the servants. He says, may your servants minister of this day, the higamans and the priests. So if there's a, another higaman, uh, a higaman or another priest. The deacons, the clergy. So these are the people that serve the liturgy. And all the people, because you also serve the liturgy. Remember we said the liturgy is the work of the people, not the work of Abuna and the deacons. So you're also part of the servants. And my weakness, be absolved from the mouth of the All-Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And from the mouth of the one, only, holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We spoke about what those words mean last week. From the mouth of the twelve apostles, because they are the ones that Christ gave the instruction to that we just read in the absolution. And from the mouth of the Behoro of God, the evangelist, St. Mark, the Holy Apostle and Martyr. Everyone in this list is a priest or a bishop because they have the authority to give the absolution. The patriarch St. Severus. Interesting. St. Severus is a Syrian patriarch and we always mention him before any of our patriarchs. Our teacher Dioscorus, St. Athanasius the Apostolic, St. Peter the Holy Priest, Martyr and High Priest, St. John Chrysostom, St. Cyril, St. Basil, St. Gregory, from the mouths of the 318 assembled at Nicaea, the 150 at Constantinople, and the 200 at Ephesus, and from the mouth of our honored father, the high priest, Pope of Atuadrus II, and from the mouth of his partner in the apostolic liturgy, our honored father, the bishop of Asuriel, and from my own mouth as a priest, being the least, glorification of the Holy Trinity, for blessed and full of glory is your holy name, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and at all times and unto the ages of ages. Amen. He finishes that. He turns around to his fellow priests, another prostration to each other. Who says this absolution? The most senior priest gives this absolution. Say I'm praying a liturgy, as the youngest priest in this diocese, and there's another priest, but he's not wearing white, he's attending in black. I would hand the cross to him and he would say this absolution because he's the oldest priest. He's the most senior priest in the church. If the bishop is there, he does it. If the pope is there, as the archbishop of the church, he will say the absolution. And then after this, the deacons continue, so Tis Amin, Ketub Nevmatiso, and they say the hymn Tai Shori, which is found on page 131. Uh, if they've just, like practically because they've just confessed it's okay, they could have communion, and then if they want to see a buna after that, they can. But it's, it's sort of like, it's like the whole question, do we have to confess before communion every single time? We should be living a life of repentance, regularly confession, confessing, but it's impractical for everyone to confess to a buna before every single liturgy. But we do pray the absolution, but we should be living a life of repentance and regularly confessing. No worries. Okay, so we're on page 131. They chant one of these two hymns. The first is Taishori, which says, The censer of pure gold, bearing the aroma, is in the hands of Aaron the priest, 
offering up incense on the altar. So at this stage, a priest is about to offer incense. Okay? I'll show you the hymns, the significance of incense, and then we'll go through what he says and why he goes around the altar, why he goes around the church, etc. Or they say this other hymn, Tishori. Originally, they used to be both said. The golden censer is the virgin. Her aroma is our saviour. She gave birth to him. He saved us and forgave us our sins. During Lent, we say, You are the censer of pure gold, bearing the blessed ember. Okay, let's go to our quotation sheet. A bit about incense. Very quick. In the Psalms, we say this psalm in the 12th hour, Psalm 141. Let my prayer be set before you as incense to lifting up on my hands as the evening sacrifice. In the book of Revelations, chapter 5. And the 24 elders, 24 priests, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelations 8. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So, use of incense is very biblical, Old New Testament. It's an act of adoration, an act of preparation as well. We prepare things with offering incense. That's why we have offering of incense matins in the morning, offering of incense vespers. Sanctification, it's respect for the holy temple. I once read that in olden times used to offer incense when the king would enter. We are in the presence of the king. We offer incense. It's a symbol of our prayers as a sweet aroma rising to God. Why St. Mary and the censer? Well, we call her the golden censer. Why? As we've just read in the Sunday Theotokia, we say, the like in the golden censer to the virgin. Remember that? And it's aloes to Emmanuel. So if you read part 14 and 15 of the Sunday Theotokia in Kiach, it says, there was this in the tabernacle, and etc. It lists everything. And then part 15 says, and they likened this in the tabernacle to this. They likened the archpriest to Christ. They likened the golden manna pot to this. So you can find it on Coptic Reader. It's part 14 and 15 of the Sunday Theotokia. Maybe after Let Us Attend, we could do like Let Us Attend Tazbeha version and go through the whole Tazbeha, if anyone's keen by then. Okay. So that's what, that's what the congregation are doing. What about the priest? Let's go to page 128. So remember, this is the east. People are behind here, okay? The priest then ascends to the altar. This is the first time he's going to use the incense... In the liturgy. So what does he do? What do you think he's going to do? Bless it in the name of the Holy Trinity. So he goes in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Blessed is God the Father, the Pantocrator, spoon of incense. Blessed is His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, spoon of incense. Blessed is the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, spoon of incense. Then, glory and honor, one spoon. Honor and glory to the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Five. If there are other priests... What does he do? So the priest who's officiating the liturgy. Dave could be our stand. He goes, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Blessed God, the Father, the Pantocrator, Amen. He puts the incense in. Then all the other priests that are present, each come up, even if there are a hundred. If you watch, like the, when all the priests, for example, the diocese pray together, there's like 26 of us in a line, from the most senior to the youngest, 
It's always easy for me. I just go to the back. I know. It's easy. Everyone's like, I'm like, I'm just at the back, you know. It's, it's easy. It's, it's handy when you're the youngest. And then, so youngest by ordination day. That's how it is. Youngest by ordination day. So someone actually was, we saw, um, his grace bishop Daniel was here this morning. And he was saying that in his diocese there's a, two brothers that were ordained a priest. And then their dad was ordained a priest. So in the liturgical services, they're before their dad in the, uh, in the lineup. Okay, so then each priest will then come, and then they'll go, Blessed is his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. They'll put a spoon. The next priest, Blessed is his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then when everyone's done, the officiating priest will say, Blessed is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. If a bishop is praying, the same system happens, but the, the, the priest is not going to bless in the presence of the bishop. The bishop gets the incense, places it in the hands of the priest, and he puts it on the coal. And you'll see that at weddings, at funerals, at vespers, the first time the bishop does this, he puts the incense in the hand of the priest, and he puts in the coal to participate in the service that is about to happen. Once he finishes that, he holds the censer, and he says, O God, the great, the eternal, without beginning and without end, great in his counsel and mighty in his works, who is in all places and dwells with everyone, be with us also, O our Master, in this hour, and stand in the midst of us all. Purify our hearts and sanctify our souls. Cleanse us from all sins which we have committed willingly and unwillingly, and grant us to offer before you rational sacrifices and a sacrifice of blessing. The deacon is then supposed to respond, but it's not practiced for one reason or another. Pray for our sacrifices and for those who have brought it. The fact that the deacon says an instruction means that this was probably done out loud at one stage. Otherwise, he'll be saying the instruction to himself. And then the priest continues, and a spiritual incense entering within the veil in the holy place of your holies. Okay? Then what happens? He goes around. The diagram that you have from Amma Mateus' book shows what he says. He does this in Vespers, so if we could please turn to page 11, so that... They've written it so the book, so they don't repeat. Actually, sorry, um, page 13. 13. So the priest stands with the, with the shoria here, the, uh, the censer. The deacon stands in front of him. He's only supposed to stand with the cross. Because when the deacon says a response, a lot of times he's supposed to hold the cross. So you find the deacon is supposed to be saying a response, so he's in front of a buna with the cross replying. It's an inaudible prayer, but I did hear once that this was done out loud. Okay? The priest says, We ask you, our master, if you look at the diagram, he says the three litanies. He's facing the east, at the icon of Christ. We ask you, our master, remember, Lord, the peace of your one, only holy Catholic and apostolic church. Left, right, middle, three, one God, around. Again, contemplation, I think, but that's okay. Still works. As he's moving around, as you could see, he says, this which exists from one end of the world to the other, and now he's facing the people. Remember our Lord, our honored Father, the Patriarch, Pope Avatar II, and his spiritual brethren, etc., and our Father Bishop Avasuriel. And as he's going this way, keep them secure for us for many years and peaceful times. We're on page 15. The deacon's supposed to be replying this whole time. End of bottom of page 15. This is the third litany. These are called the three litanies. Looking at the altar, at the Christ, the icon of Christ, remember, O Lord, our assemblies, bless them. Then he goes around. Uh, 
grant that they may be unto us without any obstacle or hindrance, that they may hold them according to your holy and blessed will. Hold what? These assemblies. Okay? Then he looks at the people. Houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. Grant them to us, O Lord, and all your servants will come after us forever. Okay? Then, arise, O Lord God. Let your enemies be scattered. Let all who hate your holy name flee before your face. He's facing the icon of Christ. But let your people be in blessing. Thousands of thousands, looking at the people. Thousands of thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand, doing your will. Through the grace, compassion, love of mankind, of your only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We, um, and he stops there. And he kisses the altar. Okay? Kisses the altar. Now, if you look at your um, sheets, I'm very proud of this diagram that I've uh, made using tables on Microsoft Word. So now, now let's imagine we're using this altar here. Abuna comes out and he senses as follows. Let's follow. Number one, he stands here and he senses three times. The first time. We worship you, O Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, for you have come and saved us. And he bows the second time. But as for me, this verse here, on the altar that you can see here, on the, sorry, on the icon stasis. But as for me and the multitude of your mercy, I will enter your house, into your house, and I will bow down in worship towards your holy temple. It's from the Psalms. And then the third time, before the angels, I will sing to you and worship towards your holy temple. Before the angels, why is he saying that? Because the church is full of the angels. Okay? Really, literally full of the angels, not symbolically. And then he turns this way and he says, We send you greetings with Gabriel the angel saying, Hail, O full of grace, the Lord is with you. Why do you think he's saying that? Why did I just say we send you greetings with Gabriel the angel saying? What icon is here? St. Mary. St. Mary enthroned with Christ and the icon of the Annunciation. Then he turns around here to the church. Hail to the choir of the angels, to my masters and fathers, the apostles, and to the choir of the martyrs and all the saints. So the church is full of saints. At the end we say the holies are for the holy. Full of saints. Okay? Right. Saints. Saints from heaven and you, the saints. Okay? And then he turns this side. Hail to John, the son of Zechariah. Hail to the priest, the son of the priest. Why did he say that? St. John the Baptist. Okay? Then he returns back and faces the east, and this is number seven. Let us worship our Savior, the good one, lover of mankind, for he had compassion on us and has come and saved us. Okay? <clears throat> so we're just, so you know what page you're up to. We are on page... Um, 130. Then the priest goes and offers incense to the gospel, kisses the gospel, takes the blessing, offers incense to any relics of the saints. So if there's a relic of the saint nearby, he'll offer incense to the relic of the saint, to an icon of a feast, of the saint of the feast. And then he goes around the church. As he's going around, he says the following, a blessing of Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ, may his blessing be of the soul. Amen. Now, in what order does he go around the church? Let's have a look. Okay, so let's just pretend these... Pews aren't here, and the church starts from here. Oh, it's going to be a bit squashy. That's all right. So the priest comes out. He goes this side first, which is north. He goes here. He goes along that route there, along the aisle, along there. Comes out behind Abanob. So he would come out this way. All right. 
He's ended up here. He'll go down the middle, offering incense the whole way and saying the blessing of Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ. May his blessing be with us all. Amen. Why? Because it's called the Pauline Circuit. This is when the Pauline Epistle is read. And then he stops at the altar, offers incense, continues this way throughout the whole church. If you realize, he's drawing the sign of infinity. I don't know if it's by chance or if it's intentional or contemplation, but at the end of the day, these things remind us God is without beginning, without end. Keeps going down the women's aisle, offering incense. Keeps going, keeps going. I want to be able to get through. Okay. And then he stops here. Now, when in, during the whole year, when do we spend a lot of time here? Passion Week. So what does he say? If you look at your next diagram, which I'm very proud of, using just tables, and I just managed to get rid of the borders on the side, which made it look nice and pretty. The first thing that he says while looking to the east, offers incense. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In one hypostasis, we worship him and glorify him. The first part of that is found in St. Paul, writings of St. Paul. Then he says... This is he who offered himself as an acceptable sacrifice upon the cross for the salvation of our race. You know the hymn, Fiat of Enf? Deacons might know it. That's what that hymn is. And then the next verse in Fiat of Enf is, etc. He turns around and he says that. His good father smelt him in the evening on Golgotha. Then he turns to the west. He opened the gate of paradise and restored Adam once more to his dominion. To the south, through his cross and his holy resurrection, he returned once more to paradise. And then this way, he says number seven, which I had before. Let us worship our Saviour, the good one, lover of mankind, for he had compassion upon us and saved us. And he proceeds back to the altar. You with me? Okay. So the two diagrams should explain that. So he did the cross here. He went around that side, through here, back there. Stopped in the middle, offered these reverent verses that we call them at the place where the uh, section of the church where we pray uh, Holy Week, and then he proceeds back to the sanctuary. Okay, and he offers, he puts one more handful of incense and he says a prayer, which is found in 130. O God, who received the confession of the thief upon the honorable cross. Accept the confession of your people and forgive them all their sins for the sake of your holy name, which is called upon us according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. If you realize something, this prayer is talking about forgiveness of sins. O God, who accepted the confession of the thief. Why is Abuna talking about confession when he just came back from a circuit around the church? In short, there was a time where there was no private confession in the church one-on-one with the priest. It's a very short time in the Middle Ages. And people would confess during this time, briefly. Not like the half an hour, 45-minute, three-hour confessions, but just confess as Abuna's coming around to Abuna very quickly. It's a time for us to pray. As Abuna comes around with the Shoria, after everything we've said about incense, it's time for us to pray. Like it says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands, the evening sacrifice. So he says this prayer when he returns... And then what does he do? He goes around the altar and does the whole um, the offering of the incense at the front in the shape of the cross again. Kisses the gospel and gives the shoria to the deacon. So how many times has he been around the altar so far? Four. Three times at the beginning. He returns. He goes around once. Again, four times so far. Okay? I think we're still okay for time. We've got about 
10 minutes. It might go a little bit over, but you're very nice people, so I'm sure I won't be in trouble. I just want to finish this part. Um, okay, so during this time, he says prayers. If we proceed to page 135, he says a prayer during the reading of the Pauline epistle. Now, Amber Mateos has linked each of these lines to a verse in the Bible. If you're interested, I could give you the text for it. I didn't want to include it today because it's going to really be a bit too much. But we'll just read the prayer because you probably haven't read this prayer before. Because the priest says it. He says, during the reading of the Pauline epistle, O Lord of knowledge and provider of wisdom, who reveals the deep things out of darkness and gives a word to those who preach with great power, who of your kindness has called upon Paul, who was for some time a persecutor to be a chosen vessel. And in this you were pleased that he should be called to be an apostle and a preacher of the gospel of your kingdom, O Christ our God. You also now, uh, a good one and lover of mankind, we ask you, grant us and all your people a mind free from wandering and a clear understanding that we may know and understand how profitable are your holy teachings which are now read to us through him. So we're asking Christ to help us to understand what's, what we're, we're hearing. And as he followed your example, O author of life, so make us also worthy to be like him in deed and in faith. Remember when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ? He's referring to that. That we may glorify your holy name and glory at your cross at all times. Remember St. Paul says, but as for me, I will boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. All this, Amma Mateus is linked to some of the writings of St. Paul. I'll give you the, the reference for it if you like. And he concludes glorification to the Holy Trinity and unto you we send up glory, honor and worship with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you now all times and to the ages of ages. Amen. Then the Catholic epistle is read with another prayer on page 138. O Lord our God, who through your holy apostles has revealed to us the mystery of the gospel of the glory of your Christ and have given to them, them being the apostles, according to the great immeasurable gift of your grace, that they should proclaim among all nations the glad tidings of the unsearchable riches of your mercy. We ask you, our Master, make us worthy of their shared inheritance. Grant us at all times to walk in their footsteps, footsteps of your apostles, and to imitate their struggle and to have communion with them in the sweat which they accepted for the sake of godliness, the toil and the effort that they went to to preach the gospel. Watch over your holy church, which you have founded through them, the apostles. Because in the, this is during the Catholic epistle, which is the readings of the epistles that don't belong to St. Paul, like St. Peter, St. James, Philemon, Jude, etc. And bless the sheep of your flock and make this vine to increase. So the vine is the church, Christ is the vine dresser, which your right hand has planted in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then concluding with a, the same glorification, uh, sorry, different glorification of the Holy Trinity, slightly different, through whom the glory, the honor, and dominion and the worship are due unto you with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you, now all times and to the ages of ages. Amen. Then after this, if you just turn the page, the priest says the litany of the sacrifices, if it wasn't said in Matins, and we went through the litany of the sacrifices last week. It was very, very nice. We spoke about um, the deep words that it says in the praise for those who offer things. So we'll skip that for now. Yes. So for, for the Pauline, there is a, a circle around the church. For the Catholic epistle, the priest stays in the altar. And then 
this, the second daura is for the uh, second circuit is for the acts, which we'll go through now. Yeah. So we're up to now page 144. The priest then proceeds to the altar, signs the incense box, and says, Glory and honor, honor and glory to the All Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now and at all times, unto the ages of ages, amen. Puts one hand of incense in and says, O God, who accepted the burnt offering of Abraham and prepared for him a sheep in Isaac's stead. Remember the offering of Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain points to the offering of Christ or the death of Christ. Even so, again, accept that our hand also, O our master, this burnt offering of this incense, and send down upon us in return for it your abundant mercy and cleansing us from every stench of sin, and make us worthy to serve in holiness and righteousness before your goodness, O lover of mankind, all the days of our life. And then he repeats exactly what he did before. Three times around the sanctuary, around the altar, ending up here, okay, kissing the Holy Gospel. But this time, he only offers incense at the front of the church. He goes to the right, comes back to the left. Why only at the front? Contemplations would say that St. Paul preached throughout the whole world, so the priest will go out and offer incense around the whole world. In the book of Acts, the disciples first preached in Jerusalem and Judea, and then beyond. So we offer incense only near Jerusalem, at the front. And then he returns. Sure. Then he returns. I'll just finish part. He returns. And he stands at the door of the altar and says that same prayer. O God who received himself the confession of the thief. But he doesn't go in. He just stands here and says it. When he finishes, he gives the shoria, the censer to the deacon. So remember he went around four times at the beginning. Now he went around three times. Four plus three is? Who walked around something seven times? Children of Israel, walls of Jericho. Walls of Jericho, seven times. So it's a reminder of that. Anthony? Yeah. So second time we only put it once, so because at the beginning we're blessing the incense to be used during the liturgy. Like, for example, the first time you use your tunic in church, in the liturgy we bless it. The first time we open the vessel parcel we say it, so we've already blessed it. So from now on we just put incense once, okay? All right. Two very quick things. All right, and then he proceeds back, and then they read the Synexarium. Okay, we won't go further at this point. I just want to outline something which I forgot to outline, which is found on page... I know there's a lot of skipping back and forth, just because the good thing about this book is they don't reprint everything several times. But if you could please turn to page 53. So sometimes you see when there's two priests that they go up to each other and they offer incense, they present their hands to each other and then they kiss each other's hands. And it's like, what's happening there? Well, let's find out what's happening there. If there's a bishop present, the priest on page 50, page 53, if there's a bishop present or the pope or a metropolitan, the priest goes up to the bishop and offers incense Three times. Offers instant three times, and it says the following on page 53. The first time, imagine Satan's here, may the Lord preserve and confirm the life of our honored father, the high priest, Pope Abba Tawazis II. 
or if it's, if it's for the Pope, if it's the Bishop, may the Lord preserve and confirm the life of our honor father, the Bishop of Asuriel, first time. Second time. And keep him secure for us for many years and peaceful times. Third time. May his enemies, may, all, may he subdue all his enemies under his feet speedily. We don't have enemies. By enemies, we refer to those who consider us their enemies. Okay? All the enemies of the Holy Church being the heretics. Those who, those who try to divide the church. And then he kisses the hand of the, uh, and the cross of the, and the hand of the bishop saying, pray to Christ on our behalf to forgive our sins. Now we spoke about the significance of the bishop last week. So if you want to hear, maybe hear that part on the podcast and look at the handout. And we said who the bishop is, why he's important and why we offer him such honor. If it's a priest, if you look where it says, um, I ask you my father, the priest... He goes up to the priest and says, I ask you, my father, the priest, to remember me in your prayers. The priest then he gives his hand like this, and they kiss each other's hands. And the priest who isn't holding the censer, so the other priest, so they can just hold this like this, with both hands. So imagine, is the priest who's offered incense, and I, I'm not praying, and I kiss, I don't know why it's like this. I'm trying to find a reason, but there is some contemplations, but I'm not, I'm not sure of them. Like, I, don't, I don't know what they are. But he offers like that. He, he kisses the priest in the hand like this, and he says, May the Lord preserve your priesthood as he, perceived, as he preserved the priesthood of Melchizedek, Aaron, Zechariah, and Simeon, the priest of the Most High God. If it's a liturgy, he says, May the Lord accept your sacrifice as he did with Melchizedek. Okay, so that's what you see. In the liturgy, the priests are going around... And each of them is praying for each other in the service. I ask you, my father, the priest, to remember me in your prayers. May the Lord preserve your priesthood as he preserved the priesthood of Melchizedek, etc. The last thing, and then we'll leave. I've given you a little table, or sorry, not a table, some dot points. On the lectionary, the katamaros. Okay? There are a few. A few that we have. We have one for Sundays. We have one for the Holy 50 Days, we have one for Passion Week, we have one for Great Lent, and we have one for the weekdays. The weekday ones, they're not th uh, unique. They repeat themselves. And I've listed some of the examples here. For example, if the weekday is a commemoration of the Prophet, we read the, the readings that we read on the commemoration of Moses the Prophet on the 8th of Tut. If the commemoration is of a patriarch of Alexandria, we read from the 29th of Hathor, which is the martyrdom of St. Peter, the seal of martyrs. So the readings of the weekdays depend on the synexarium. That's why if you attend a lot of weekday liturgies, you're like, did we, just, did we just say this gospel two days ago? Probably because there was like two patriarchs who had their feast day in the same week. Okay, that's like five minutes over. I do apologize if I've went too over, but we started late. But we spoke about being on time to liturgy, so let's be on time. That's okay. So if you've got any questions, we'll hang around after. We'll answer those. Next week, we'll go through the gospel, the sermon, and the first part, uh, the prayer of reconciliation. Um, and then we'll go on to that. Okay? Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray.